0: It doesn't take any special revelation to recognize that our world is literally being torn asunder. The institutions we used to regard as monolithic seem to now be hanging by a thread. Let us pronounce, if we're anchored in Jesus Christ when all is well, it will not matter when it is not. Right now is a critical moment in human history. God wants to foster radical reliance upon Him. He wants us to foster interdependence with one another, a holy community Flowing from Holy Communion. Accordingly, as you've witnessed innumerable people taking to the streets in violence, one question remains, is what moves them greater than what we profess moves us? If we profess to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we can no longer remain behind our comfortable walls, limiting the Holy Spirit to our comfort zones. Jesus is summoning us to surrender everything. People are now hungrier than ever for His Kingdom to come and His will be done. God is doing His part. The bright light shines on you and me. Please don't dismiss this. We ask you to please take a moment and check out the website OneHeartOneCity.us. What's this all about? We're simply missioned friends throughout this region, across denominations, who have encountered the love of God in Jesus Christ and can't help but see His healing, transforming, Saving love overflow into this world. What you're going to hear in the next hour are some very powerful testimonials from a recent three-night event that took place at Swan Creek Park in Toledo, Ohio. We hope it is the first of many opportunities that we share to see holy revival in this region. Before getting to the program, a word of deep gratitude for some godly businesses who've partnered with us. Please support them. These include Imago Dei Productions, Interstate Commercial Glass & Door, Perry's Auto Mall, Resourcement Financial, and Turning Point Chiropractic. And now, on with our program.
1: Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we're inviting you
2: to manifest your presence here this evening. It's a good thing to come and to praise and to worship you, but more importantly, we're here for an encounter. And it shouldn't be brief, but it should be lasting from this night forward, Lord. We long to worship you. That means to literally come to a place in nearness, come to you, moving from a place to a place that we might discover you for the very first time or we might discover you for the 1,000th time, Lord. And, Lord, we just say, honestly, we are hungry for so much more. In Jesus' name, amen. And we exalt Thee
1: We exalt Thee we
0: exalt Thee Oh Lord, yes we will
1: and we exalt Thee
3: We exalt thee. We exalt
4: thee. Oh, 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 oh,
2: Sing, I exalt And I exalt,
1: thee. I exalt thee. And I
0: called One Heart, One City. You can find it at oneheartonecity.us, prayer place. You are all warmly welcome. And through the evening, we're gonna journey deeper. I'll just tell you guys that up front. We're gonna journey more deeply. My wife has a fun little story because she's just fun and little and beautiful. Mother of seven children, one in heaven, so I love my beautiful wife.
4: Okay, so I get to tell the fun stories oftentimes. So here's my fun little story for you all that Greg's gonna expand on and give you the deep theological meaning. Not really. So, uh, where is he? This guy right here, John Paul. Waves to John Paul. When he was much shorter than myself, which was many years ago. You no, know, he was probably four years old, maybe. And when we lived in Erie, Pennsylvania, we lived just a couple blocks from our church. So we were able to walk to mass regularly, which was a beautiful thing. And so one day, as we were walking home from Mass, John Paul said, Mom, wasn't Mass just so beautiful today? And I said, you know, of course, and I'm like just hurrying home in my mind, thinking of the brunch I have to prepare and everything else we have to do that day. And he said, Father gave a great homily. And so this is a four-year-old, keep in mind. And so, and he kept making little comments. I said, well, John Paul, I said, the Lord... You know, speak to your heart. Did you hear him say anything to you? And, you know, was he, was he trying to tell you something? He looked up at me with this awful look, and he goes, Mom, Jesus doesn't talk in church.
0: Living water is the theme for the next three nights. And we take this from John 4, The Encounter of the Woman at the Well, which is one of my absolutely favorite stories. And the segue would be this, that John Paul, as a child, had certain expectations of who Jesus is and what you do at a place at church. And I'd submit to you that while expectations of wonder and awe are good, sometimes our expectations are limiting God. Sometimes we put boxes on God. And in this case, it was a great opportunity for Stephanie to kind of convey to John Paul, no. The Holy Spirit, in this occasion, does want to speak to us directly. So there's kind of five very prominent areas where Christ shatters expectations at the well. Number one, as many of you know, the woman was Sumerian. So there's a racial question. Race is important. It's a God-given gift. But it's not definitive of her nature and her identity. Number one, Jesus approached her, though many other Jews would not approach her. He did. He shatters that. Number two, she's a woman. It would have been unheard of in that day for a man by himself, much less to speak to a woman. Gender, again, a beautiful God-given gift, but is not a factor in one's nature. Number three, he sees something in her that could only be known supernaturally, that she had many husbands, and the one that she was with was not her husband. And she, being a detective, said, I detect you are a prophet. So we got some real... Detective work going on there in the Bible, John 4. So sin and the moral choices we make do not separate us from God's loving intervention. He broke into that and spoke to her. Location, the woman challenges him. So the fourth is location. Well, God, she says, you people worship, worship over there and they worship over here. And, you know, where are we supposed to worship? And he says, I tell you, a time is coming and it is now present when you will worship the father in spirit and in truth christ in that very moment is inaugurating an awareness that he is beyond physical location yes physical location again important sacred this place is sacred everybody in this community is sacred everybody in the world is sacred it is sacred holy ground christ diminishes he the line between secular and sacred amen But he's conveying and shattering the misconception that God is confined to this place, these people, and this time. He's breaking into that misconception. The fifth and final is that when he said that I have, I want to tell you about this water that if you drink of, you will never thirst again. Her mindset again, her conception is on physical water, the thirst of her physical thirst. But he looks through to her, and I invite you to picture right now Tonight, in this moment, speaking to us, looking into our hearts and recognizing that whatever reason you thought you came, whatever expectation you have, the Holy Spirit is here. He's looking to our hearts and he sees a deep thirst. And note that God allows a thirst in each of us so that he can be the satisfaction. You are not alone. We are not alone in the thirst that we bring here tonight. For some of us, it may be for physical healing. I tell you in the name of Jesus, bring that. Some of us, it's a deep emotional healing, a thirst that we feel we just keep battling with. You are not alone in that. He is the satisfaction. Bring that. Relationally, some of you right now are struggling with a spouse. Some of you with family members. That's a thirst. It is not meant to be apart from God. It is part of his plan. He wants you to be aware of your thirst so that he can be the satisfaction for that. So my word to us tonight... And as we journey the next three nights in this living water, bring your thirst. Identify it. Don't be afraid of it. Christianity is not about we've got it all together. Agreed? Amen? Amen. It's about him who has it all together and coming to him that we can receive streams of living water. He wants to shatter our expectations. So come tonight and in this very moment as we hand the baton off to Todd Thomas. By the way, I've picked leaders these three nights because I have been profoundly blessed by their appointing and their anointing. They're on the journey like the rest of us to more deeply discover and live in the kingdom. And they're going to bring us along that journey because they do it well. So we're going to turn it over now to Todd, who's going to lead us through a time of worship, followed by a testimony. Very much looking forward to Randy Lynn Hurst in the house tonight. Very excited. And then we're just going to let, truthfully, there's no script here. By the way, somebody made a joke once, which I love. Yahweh is one who tears up our plans. I like that definition. By the way, there's no scholarship to that. It's just Yahweh is one who tears up our plans. Tear up your plans tonight. They're tearing up the plans because we want to be operating in the supernatural. We want to be attuned to what God is saying. By the way, tonight, if you doubt God, that's, that's okay. He believes in you. If you're in sync with God. He wants to take you further. Wherever you're at in that continuum, he wants honesty. He wants real. Open your hearts. That's the word I give you tonight as we hand this over. Be open. Bring your thirst and be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to minister to you, and I'm delighted to be on this journey with you. The God of the universe fashioned our hearts for his indwelling spirit Our hearts will not rest until they rest in Him. The following is from a prayer place gathering. Join us at OneHeartOneCity.us
3: Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, Big John. It's such an honor and a blessing to be here on this beautiful day as we get to enjoy God's blueprint, and that's exactly what it is. I feel like He's pleased that we're all here um to my right is my lovely wife jessica my helpmate she's my best friend my biggest cheerleader and she's without a doubt god's best for me so thankful for her um you know greg brought up what's been going on and for the last several weeks uh, it seems like we can't help but be reminded as a body of christ also as human beings, as Americans, that there's a lot of brokenness going on in our culture, in our world. Uh, And to be honest, regardless of where you're at in life, regardless of the color of your skin, regardless what your political sensibilities may be, uh, regardless of your backstory, I think we could all unanimously agree that there's something hideously wrong with our world uh i'll give you a little backstory on me i grew up in the inner city uh, of south toledo uh, i didn't have a dad growing up my parents divorced uh, when i was too young to remember as a matter of fact i only have a very dim recollection of my dad or my parents ever being married uh, my, my father is an alcoholic uh, i have a brother who struggles with alcoholism so uh, we're genetically predisposed I believe it's a generational curse that I've decided to uh, not give into and that's simply because of the Holy Spirit Um, I grew up in a neighborhood that was full of orphans uh, young men and women that didn't have fathers that didn't that, that had broken homes but I'm so thankful that in the home that I grew up in, though we didn't have a lot of money, what we had a lot of was love, and what we had a lot of was unity. And I'm so blessed that I had a mom that always poured uh, love into me, that always uh, was there when I needed a hug and needed affection and needed encouragement. She still is, I'm very thankful to have her. And I, more importantly, had a grandmother who was the spiritual rock of our family. And my grandmother was the head deaconess of our church and I lost her uh, five years ago. It was one of the most difficult times of my life. Uh, I lost a big part of my life. Uh, my sweet wife was there uh, as one of my friends, and she helped me through that grieving process. My grandmother uh, was a strong woman in the faith, and she always wanted to remind me of my identity. And that's one of the things I want to talk about today. I want to talk about identity Um, for the past year and a half I I don't believe that things happen by accident I don't believe we're here by accident I don't believe I'm standing in front of you by accident Uh, I'm not used to public speaking but uh, I believe that God has something he wants me to say and he wants me to communicate that in a way that's very loving in a way that's very truthful our culture is in the midst of an identity crisis the likes of which we've never seen before and that's manifested in a lot of the brokenness that we're witnessing in our culture. A lot of animosity, a lot of hatred, a lot of bitterness, a lot of resentment, a lot of confusion. And where we know that all these things are happening and all these things are uh, taking place, we know that the Spirit of God is not there. My grandmother, uh, when I, li- I lived with her for a couple of years before I moved out on my own and I'm a musician and I used to play in a lot of bars and clubs and things like that, where I was around addiction, where I was around brokenness. And at the time, I thought it was fun. I remember every time I would leave, before I would walk out the door, my grandmother would say to me, Jonathan, remember who you are. And remember whose you are. And at the time, I never took those words seriously, but for some odd reason, they're etched in my brain and I can't think of a more perfect time to remind, to, to ask you guys that question. Do you know who you are? And more importantly, do you know whose you are? And if I look at all the brokenness that, I mean, you can't get away from it. You look on the internet, it's all over the news, it's all over TV, and you see all this brokenness. And one of the things I want to ask all these people is do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? Um, I. I've had the privilege to talk to a lot of members uh, at my job, a lot of customers who, believe it or not, have come up to me and approached me. They're like, John, you know, some of them, uh, some of my white brothers and sisters, I call everybody my brother and sister. Uh, some of my white brothers and sisters have come up to me as an African-American, and they've apologized to me, and they've been crying, some of them. I'm so sorry. I feel so sorry for you. And I, and I had to stop for a second. I go, why do you feel so sorry for me? Why is your spirit grieving for me? And then they tell me, because of all the brokenness, because of the, the horrible incident that happened in uh, Minneapolis, that we would all unanimously agree never should have happened. Never should have happened. And just the pain and, the, and, the, and just the turmoil and, and upheaval that, that's resulted from it, some of it legitimate, some of it for political gain, some of it for a paycheck, some of it for group, group validation. But it's pain nonetheless. And they've apologized to me for it. And they said, John, I'm I'm so sorry for what you're going through right now. And when they said those words to me, I stopped for a second. I go, I go, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. I'm a man of God. I'm born again. I know my identity. Why not tell them about Jesus? Why not use this opportunity to remind them? Of what their identity is by telling them what my identity is and I think that's what God has called us to do Uh, there's a certain passage in scripture and you have probably all heard it Uh, and this is from uh, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 and this is from the message translation one of the things I like about the message translation is that it tells it like it is because I grew up in the hood and we tell it like it is puts it in plain speaking. I I want you guys to hear these words. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly, quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Identity. It's so important that we know who we are and it's so important that we know whose we are. As I was talking about uh, this identity crisis that we're going through, If we are not reminded, if we don't know, if we haven't come face to face with the God of Abraham, the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the person who we're gonna stand in front of someday, if we don't know what that God has to say to us and about us in regards to our identity, we are gonna be forever left open and susceptible to the many false narratives and vague and ambiguous definitions of what the god of this world has to say in regards to who we are it's no wonder everybody is so depressed because they don't know the word of god and that's where we as a church is where we as a body of believers that's where we step in to intercede and to speak the truth so if you come to me with any type of political rhetoric i'm going to respond to you with the word of god if you come to me with fear i'm going to respond to you with the word of god if you come to me apologizing I'm gonna respond to you with the word of God and remind you of what your identity is. It's so important that we know who we are. Because I have peace, because I've come face to face with the Prince of Peace, I don't have to fight for it. I can fight from it. Because I have hope, and that hope is the resurrection of Christ, I don't have to fight for hope. I could be an agent of hope. I'm not so much concerned with social justice as I am warning others of God's divine justice. I don't have to fight for change. I can be an agent of change. We can do that. So thankful for you guys allowing me to share my heart with you. I I prayed beforehand that God would give me the words to say, and then he wouldn't let me say anything that he didn't want me to say, so I'm not going to uh, ramble on. But uh, just real quick, I wanted to remind you guys uh, of the word identity. And so anytime you see somebody who's broken, anytime you see somebody who's hurting, ask yourself, ask them, do you know who you are and do you know whose you are? I don't see myself as a black man. I see myself as a child of God. I don't see her as a white lady. I see her as my, my best friend she's my wife thankfully because of God's miraculous provisions uh, this this man who didn't grow up with the father I have been very, very blessed to have Jim Fox has <laughs> been more of a dad to me in these past five years than my actual father was and my mom Kim Fox very thankful to have her I've got two wonderful uh, brothers uh, nieces and nephews but I want to encourage you to be an agent of change. Now is not the time to be fearful. Now is not the time to be ashamed. And definitely, now is not the time to be quiet. Thank you.
0: The God of the universe fashioned our hearts for his indwelling spirit. Our hearts will not rest until they rest in Him. The following is from a prayer place gathering. Join us at OneHeartOneCity.us
2: I first met my wife. I have to tell a brief story. I really didn't meet her face to face. She was a prayer request. Because in the, in the late 90s, as you're going to hear, um, she was a hot mess. And her sister, who was, who was a very old friend of mine and her, my, now my brother-in-law, <laughs> said, we need to pray for this Heather Chris. And uh, so that's how I met my wife. I, came, I met her spiritually, praying for her, her soul, praying for her mind, praying for her life praying that she would live the destiny that God has carved out for her. And so with great pleasure, I'd like to introduce you to Heather Bofis, my beloved.
5: I guess I'll lead off with, you got to be careful what you pray for. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be here tonight. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever stood and given your testimony publicly but to stand in front of a group of people you don't know and share the deepest darkest ugliest pieces of your past to talk about God's redemption is not the most comfortable thing in the world but I have learned that my life is not my own my story is not about me I'm involved in it but it's not about me ultimately it is about him so you're going to hear some of the ugly and I have not written a script. I'm gonna kinda let the Holy Spirit dictate which pieces you need to hear and which pieces you don't because we are in such a public setting. I will keep some of the details a little more obscure, but you will be able to track with me. And in this, um, I specifically asked Tony to play the last song that he played because there's a line in there that says, he's written the story with me in mind. So I am part of this story today. He's planned it from the beginning of time. He planned that you would be here. And whether it touches your heart personally, or if it's a story that you go and say, hey, I was at the park the other day and I heard this story and I need to share this with you because maybe your testimony looks different, but it might touch something that somebody else, you know, needs to hear. So my story began um, more than 40 years ago and we'll just leave it at that. And I was raised, By a military family, my dad was in the Air Force, and at the age of four, we moved to Ohio from Nebraska, and my life had already been under the devil's gun. Uh, My mom was scheduled to have a hysterectomy before I was conceived, and she had to go in the four weeks prior every week to make sure that she wasn't pregnant because her body was that bad and we needed to make sure there was no, no problems. Well, the last week right before the surgery, the doctor said, you're pregnant and you're going to have to terminate the pregnancy because your body will never be able to carry the baby to term and she said i will not now this was right about 74 after roe v wade she had every legal right to to do that and she fought for my life so immediately i knew the de- devil had a mark against me i was raised in a family of mediocre faith at best i was raised in a religion but i wasn't raised in a faith and a relationship with jesus christ so uh, all of my upbringing had some element of scripture and going to church and those kind of things but it was not anything that really fed my soul or i was taught how it could feed my soul it was very obscure we were a little better than christmas and easter but that pretty much dictated i had a grandmother and a great grandmother who were full of faith um, my grandmother and great-grandmother prayed the rosary every night faithfully. Faithfully, faithfully, faithfully. My great-grandmother had a rosary that would glow in the dark. I, I can remember seeing it in her house. So I knew that they had been praying for me. I made it through high school. I made it through elementary school, mostly unscathed. Um, no, no high school student is perfect, as I know I have two of my own currently. Well, one. One just graduated. And as I look back... I could say my life is defined well I wasn't that bad does that make sense to a lot of you you know those kids who are way out there and the ones who are like pristine I was somewhere in that middle ground like not living the pristine life but I wasn't like sending my mom off the rails that I know of (laughs) until till till almost graduation Um, when I was five I was um, involved not by my choice in an abusive relationship a trusted neighbor became my babysitter and he took full advantage of me in the most intimate way and i will leave it at that for those who don't need to hear all those intimate details Um, but pray for the little ones over at the park because very often it's by people who we trust and so that was part of my story for eight years from the time i was about five till i was about 13. and i never told my mom who had been involved in her own abusive relationship as a child, and I remember point blank during her counseling one day, she said to me, has anybody ever hurt you? And I looked her dead in the eye and I said, nope. And she said, you'd tell me, wouldn't you? Of course I would, Nope. because there is such a level of shame and humility and guilt that overwhelms you when you are in those situations. And so that had been part of my identity. The teachers would give statistics during health class about one in four or one in five or you know, whatever the statistics were. And I knew in the quiet of my heart that I was the statistic. And you feel ugly and you feel like everybody can just see it on you. So then you begin to play games emotionally and with your personality and with your behaviors to make sure that you're included and nobody knows exactly what's going on in the confines of your home and in the ugly of your heart. Years later, I would learn that what happened to me because of that situation became something called the love addiction. I wasn't really into the physical. Um, My parents got divorced when I was in high school. There was an abandonment kind of issue going on. And so my life began to be identified by any relationship is better than, a bad relationship is better than no relationship. And so high school and college was riddled by a series of really bad relationships and i can change him and i can save him and put up with a lot of things that i never should have because i just needed to be loved and accepted and to be to have an identity because somebody else thought i was worth being with if that makes sense so college went from Good in high school, I wasn't the party girl, college was getting a little dicey. I moved out in my late mid-20s and I moved to Dayton and I lived there for five years. And I made my own friends and I'll decide, and I don't have friends because of my mom or my dad or my brothers and sisters, I was going to make my own friends. All my my friends hung out in a bar. Let's go play trivia. And it all started very innocently. And let's go have a good time and then you meet the people who drink and then they meet every week to play trivia and every week you're drinking and then every wednesday you're drinking and then every wednesday and friday you're drinking and then it becomes a blur of it's just what you do and i was accepted and i had fun and to the world there was not an issue in my life this is just what everybody does but i was not at peace i was not happy i was not content there was always a sense of. What if they don't like me anymore? What if they really knew what was going on with me? What if they really knew what my past looked like? What if they really knew how insecure I was? But you don't play the insecure card in the bar unless you've had way, way too many and they have too and then everybody can cry in their beer and nobody remembers it the next day anyway. But I wasn't that good at the game. So I got involved in a relationship with a a man who was 19 years my senior because he's more mature and he's not going to break my heart and he's going to be reasonable and he wants to get married and he didn't want to get married he already had four boys (laughs) one was just not a whole lot younger than i was and we were involved for several years and in january of uh, 2001 i let him know on super bowl sunday that he was going to be a father again and when i found out (laughs) And here's where it is. The first thought that I had was I can just get rid of it and nobody would know. Because pregnancy is the sin you cannot hide. When you're out of wedlock and you're pregnant, everybody knows what you've been doing. You can hide drinking, you can hide drugs, you can hide a lot of things. Eventually they know what you're doing. And I was ashamed because I knew better. I grew up enough and I knew enough that this isn't the way I was supposed to be living. And I was devastated that this is where I had found myself and i was devastated that i even thought it i couldn't go through with it it lasted about 15 20 seconds and i was devastated and i i didn't know what to do and i didn't know how to tell my family and i didn't know how to i just didn't know and i was in the darkest place i could remember being in a long time and my dear friend melissa who had, we have been friends since high school i called her she was the first person i called and I was just a wreck, and I'm trying to carry a conversation, and she goes, so what's going on with you? And I'm like, uh, so I'm pregnant. And she's like, uh, congratulations? <laughs> like, she didn't know what I, she was supposed to say. And she has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of my life. Um, she will not be speaking after I do to fill in any details. Um, but I am convinced that that happened, and I have jokingly said it took two sons to save me. It took... Godson, and I needed another one to come along to really drag me out of the pit. Because at that lowest point of my life, because the guy I was with was verbally abusive, he was emotionally abusive, he was physically abusive. You know, I was that woman who was making up lies about why she had the black eye or the bump or the, the this or the that. Um, it lasted about four or five more months that I continued to live with him, and it it just went from bad to worse. I had to tell my parents. I was loved, I was accepted. Um, When I was seven months pregnant, we had just had a baby shower for me and he had been out drinking while I was at the baby shower and I came home and we got into a fight and he picked up a dresser drawer and he threw it at me. And I called my sister in tears and she said, just tell me what you want to do. Just tell me, I will come and get you. If you wanna stay, I will support you. If you want me to come get you, And I sat on the front porch and I cried and I said, come get me. So she drove from Toledo at like four o'clock in the afternoon, showed up late in the evening, and she and her husband completely dismantled my apartment and packed me up and drove me home. And that was when the change in my life really began. The crying out and the, I can't do this anymore by myself. Um, I, I finally had hit rock bottom and The woman who was pastoring our church at the time came up to me when I came to church. And she said, she had actually said this to me years before. And she would come up to me at church while I was visiting. She'd say, are you miserable enough yet? And I thought, what kind of church is my sister going to that they're praying for me to be miserable? Because I didn't understand. Because until you're miserable enough, you will look for every other possible solution. You will look for the better job, the better relationship, the better car, the better wardrobe, the better place to live. And none of it will fix it. Because what we're really looking for is peace. We're looking for a peace in our heart. We're looking for a peace of acceptance. We are looking for I accept you and love you just as you are. And that's what I got when I came home. So that became the change point of my life. And I have a tremendous love and appreciation for my son. There is a special bond in my heart that I knew that his, his call on life has been a rescue mission from day one since conception. And so the journey of new life in Christ began, and how do you do this Christian thing, like legit do it, and not just play the game and go to church on Sunday and live like hell from Monday through Saturday. And I found that. And my husband was part of that congregation, and when I had first met him face-to-face in my broken time, I came to church, and he walked in, and I was like, oh, nice. Because, you know, I'm broken, and I don't know that he's a man of God, and I don't know how to have that kind of relationship. And then he opened his mouth, and I was like, "Eee, gad, you're wound up tight. And just, he was too not because he was putting on a show, but I didn't understand the line he was holding and the line he was walking. And as Spencer started to grow and we grew in the church and I started to get my feet on the right path, um, I remember one particular Saturday evening, we were having Saturday evening service at that time. And I came up the stairs with Spencer and Bo took him and took him to the back into the, the sound booth and he was holding him and I was just able to worship on my own. and. And I had been talking to God about this man, and I said, if someone who barely knows me and has no emotional attachment to me in a personal way, I mean, we, we had conversation, we hung out at my sister's house, we played dominoes, we, we had that kind of relationship, but we weren't really connecting in any other way. And I said, God, if he would treat me that well as kind of just a periphery person, then whoever I would marry, I want that to be like the benchmark, that's like the baseline. And I feel like God kind of sat back and went, (laughs) ha, ha, just you wait. (laughs) True story, true story. Um, So that has been the walk. And our quick story, you know, when God starts his redemption thing, when you're really ready to surrender, he's not going to hold anything back. And he took me on such a whirlwind of having a baby. Spencer was less than three when he... No, we went on our first date in March. He proposed at the end of March. We were offered the senior pastorate in June. We were married in September. I was pregnant by January, and he became the senior pastor the following May. And God can do that kind of redemption story, and it wasn't because that I had suddenly gotten my life so tidy and I had put it all together and I was suddenly walking the righteous road because it was a battle. It was a battle. The whole first year... Of Spencer's life, I tried to maintain relationship with his dad and, you know, God just let this work out and just let this work out, and it, it wasn't supposed to work out. It, it just, it was not in God's plan. But I was in God's plan, and Spencer was in God's plan, and Bo was in God's plan. And everything that has happened in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the scripture tells us he can use all things for good. I wouldn't encourage my path but I won't despise my path because I've learned that my path does not define who I am. I am not a drunk, I am not a floozy, I am not a drug addict, I am not any of those things that the world would wanna say, well, you did this and you did that. Those things don't define me anymore. My definition comes from God, and I'm not proud of my past, but I'm allowing him to use all the brokenness, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, for his glory to say, If you're middle of the road, he can take care of it. If you're off the rails, he can take care of it. And if you're like bordering on I'm tipping over the edge, he can draw you back and say, no, I've got a different plan for you. So thank you for allowing me to share and for hearing our story, my story, his story.
2: One thing I want to share with you is a passage out of Romans. Chapter 8, verse 18, and then 19. And 19 is the one. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, 19. For the creation waits with eager for the revealing of the sons of God. Look at each other. and tell. You're, you're part of the promise. You are the promise. Say that to each other. You're part of the promise. What I want to express to you today, what's on my heart, is this. I'm going to cut to the chase, and we're going to move in that direction. The answer lies within us. And if we can leave this place today knowing that we have the answer, Jesus our Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we have to express that answer and create a, and allow the Holy Spirit to create a movement within us and then that movement touches another life. Will you make a commitment today to the Lord that for the next week, you're going to touch another life? Because we can have these events. This is great. We don't have a lot of non-believers per se. I don't know. Maybe they're hiding in the trees. But most of you attend church, have a faith, but God is inspiring us to do, not just to do, but to be more. And this is the beautiful part. It's not us being more, it's allowing him to be more within us. It's us actually getting out of the way so that he can express the glory through us. Even in a crowd like this, a lot of smiles, but even in a crowd like this, where things, it's a, is it not beautiful? Do you not feel relaxed? But even in this situation, there's probably a few of you who have a burden on your heart. Maybe it's something you're going through now. Maybe it's something that you went through and it still encumbers you. Remember, you're part of the promise. And so let's take some time to pray because if you have something that's encumbering you right now, do you believe, do you believe that the Lord wants to free you from that? He has freed you spiritually already. That's a done work. The issue is our mind. Romans chapter 12, 1 and Renewing of our mind. And there are things that we lean on that frankly create more confusion and don't clear up the matter. What are those things? Anything other than Jesus Christ. It's really easy. The Bible calls that idolatry. I will tell you, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to me really right at the early part of the COVID that this the Lord was wanting to purify his church from idolatry. The things we place above God really place. Okay, let me give you a a quiz. When you're stressed, who do you flee to? Really. When you make a decision how do you, what's the calculus behind that decision? Is it prayer? Is it biblical principles? Is it the word of God? When you look at your life, how do you know you're successful? Is it because you are obedient to God or is it because you fill in the blank? This is only something that you can assess. Some of you, this is not an issue. You're fighting the fight. It's not perfect, but you're fighting the fight. You're not allowing anything to shine more brightly in your life than Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to intercede for the church because there are things that too many within the body of Christ lift higher than Jesus. First commandment, to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We are here. It's an appointed time. I want to ask those, some people who can pray. If you have placed things in your heart that are above God, that you struggle with and you want to be free of that, this is a time for repentance. And for others, please pray for the church, that she would not grab hold, she would not hold hands with anyone but Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's all, we only hold hands with Jesus. That's it. We are the bride of Christ. The God
0: of the universe fashioned our hearts for his indwelling spirit. Our hearts will not rest until they rest in him. The following is from a prayer place gathering. Join us at oneheartonecity.us. Greg came up here right after
1: the music stopped. Did anybody feel a shift in the atmosphere? There was like an anointing. I mean, you feel the presence of the Lord is very, very strong. So, uh, my name is Randy Lindhurst, and I'm going to share my story or my testimony because I know that God is no respecter of men, and I know what He's done for me, and what He's done for me, because He's no respect for men, He'll do for you as well and people say to me, you're a good guy, and I say, they actually say you're a good Christian, and I say no, but I'm working on it. And I'll tell you why I say that, I know my own heart, every one of us has struggles, and if you claim that you don't have a struggle, chances are you need to look in the mirror and realize that you gotta struggle with being real with yourself. My purpose is to show you that you have a purpose in your relationship with the Lord to be used here and now to manifest his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven through you if you make yourself available. And by having purpose, that actually produces hope. It'll change everything. And I got to tell you, because you'll hear my story, some of you here feel like, well, I blew it and I'm beyond it. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't care what age you are and I don't care what you did. If you just surrendered to the Lord, And say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done in me and through me. He's going to use you right where you are. Amen? So, uh, first thing is, I am married. I've been married for 33 years. Got married very young. Sometimes people say, well, we're we're getting divorced because we got married so young. And I say, it doesn't fly with me. I married my wife when she was a senior in high school, at Whitmer High School. We have uh, four children, three of which are married. And one is getting married next year. And we have six grandchildren, so God has really, really blessed us. And that's amazing because I actually have traveled for the last 25 years. My biggest part of ministry is I work for an automotive company. You've might heard it. It's called Midas. I started when I was in high school. The Lord blessed it. And today, uh, I lead a team. My I have a title. I'm not a title guy. But my title is Vice President of Operations. And what that means is I lead a team that operates 100 100- stores in six states. So I travel all the time. I go from north of Flint, Michigan to south of Atlanta, Georgia, and all the way to uh, Albany, New York. So when I was a child, um, I grew up in a broken home, never really had a father figure. I had an awesome mother, and I'm not just saying it because she's sitting right there. She is awesome because she loved unconditional. But the key here was I really didn't have a father figure, so I never understood the unconditional love of a father. Now remember, we live in a fatherless generation. We really do. So I never understood the unconditional love of a father. So I was one of those people that based everything on performance. If I was good, then I was accepted. And if I wasn't perfect, then I wasn't accepted. And that's kind of how my relationship with the Lord was. So I when I was like 10 or 11 years old, my aunt and my grandmother would take me to church and one day she called me up and she led me through what we call the sinner's prayer. And all I can tell you is this, I didn't understand everything, but the next morning it was like the grass was greener and the sky was bluer and colors were more vivid. Something changed. There was something, I couldn't explain it, but something changed. And I would pray, and and I had this intense fear of God because I didn't understand everything, and I didn't understand the love of a father. But God God just nourished me, and he did a work within me. And as I got a little older, uh, as I graduated from high school, I kind of wandered for a while. Anybody ever do that? You kind of wander away. Well, if you're there, I want to encourage you because this is what the Bible says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not only is it in the Old Testament, in the Psalms and the Proverbs, it's in the New Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I do believe that you can walk away from the Lord eternally, but he will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord supernaturally brought me back to him. And when you share that, people are like, tell the story because it's be glorious. It wasn't glorious. It was painful. It was really painful. If you want to know the truth, and I'm going to use this in the right purpose he scared the hell right out of me that's what brought me back to him is he scared the literal hell right out of me and he brought me back to him and I surrendered and I said Lord your will be done now I wasn't perfect still fall short but the Lord started doing a work in me and I remember I was a uh, I was the youngest manager the company ever had And they wanted to promote me to a district manager. And it was cool because I've lived my life in the prophetic. The Lord still speaks in the prophetic. He gives people dreams. He gives people words of encouragement. Sometimes he'll give words of knowledge. And Todd back there, the Lord always used him uh, in the prophetic. And I remember I had gotten promoted to a district manager. I had to move to Cincinnati. And I had the church pray over myself and my wife. We had two little kids at the time. And Todd started prophesying and said, the Lord's going to promote you again and again and again. And he's going to use you in this atmosphere. And he just went on and on. Well, it happened. He's not done yet. But it happened. It didn't happen the next day because we're kind of like people that go through a drive through Once we hear something, we want it right now. Lord, this is your promise. I want it right now. Well, it's in his timing, not ours. And here's the big thing. It's for his purposes, not ours. You're gonna be blessed through it, but it's all about him, it's not about us. You just have to surrender daily. I'm still learning that, by the way. So anyways, I had moved to Cincinnati, and and the Lord just blessed me, and I was promoted again and again, and then he moved me back home, and there's a whole lot of stories in that, and the Lord used me supernatural to lead people to him, and, and church people, That are hurt and church people that were broken, the Lord used me to encourage them and kind of bring them back. There's a lot of people in church that are hurt and broken. And because we're in church, and many of them for 30 years, and they don't say anything because it's not proper, because, you know, I've been in church all these years. I got to be perfect, right? I'm not. But the Lord used me just to encourage them. I woke up one morning and I had a, a lymph node that had swollen up so big that it was above my collarbone, it was huge. So you know what I did? The smart thing. I got on the internet, looked it up and self-diagnosed it. And when I got done looking on the internet, I was nuts because everything on the internet's cancer. You're going to die, right? It was not only a physical attack, it was a spiritual attack. There was a fear that was attached. The enemy was trying to stop what the Lord was doing. So he would not only was trying to kill me, but was trying to destroy me. There was the fear was unbelievable it it was it was ungodly it was crazy it was a spiritual attack have you ever been through a spiritual attack i've been through spiritual attacks and in the middle of the night prayed through it and the next morning i'm better this lasted months i'd be on a treadmill i'm trying to run and there'd be somebody next to me and say how you doing oh not so good my husband just died of cancer you know i could not get away from it so i'm dealing with this and it was an attack It, it goes much deeper than i'm telling you I ended up going back to Toledo, took the doctor's advice. So we're going to put you on some classroom medicine. And by the way, you have a mass on your left lung. So I got this, I got a mass, I got all this stuff going on. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, anxiety goes through the roof. I got people praying for me all over. But let me tell you, I got back up to Toledo, and I had people praying for me all over. But I, I sat with uh, one of the other elders, Ron King. is a mentor. He's like a spiritual father to me. And uh, we started praying, and we're praying, and we're praying. And the Lord spoke through me, and the Lord said, Who can stand against me? And who can stand against my anointed one? And you know that, it was two days later, I went to Flower Hospital, and they did a CT scan. And the next morning, they called me. They said, We don't know what happened, but it disappeared. And two weeks later, it was God. It was God. But I'm just telling you that, the enemy comes against you because you're you're one with God, but God's going to take care of you. You're going to go through things, and and I learned so much from it. But let me tell you the rest of the story. As Paul Harvey used to say, we're in this church, and I'm going to make this uh, long story short. This this pastor is a big guy, man. And by the way, I'm the only white guy in the church. Doesn't make a difference to me because we're family. That's how it is. But he comes over, and during the worship, he stops, and he said, you know, I studied all day, and we we're going to go this way, but Holy Spirit says we're going to go this way. And he says, so we're going to go that way. So they started praying, and it was different. But he came over. During the prayer, I got my hands up. I'm just praying, and I feel this big hand. And he starts praying for me, and he speaks a word of knowledge that was given to me two weeks word for word. I knew there was something there, right? So I tell him, I said, this is what happened, this is what I do. You gave me a word of knowledge. He said, that's awesome. And they started praying again, and this younger guy comes over. He's probably 23, 24 years old, and he starts praying. He's got his hand on my stomach and on my chest, and he's praying for me. And all of a sudden, he says, you will never die of cancer. And heart disease has plagued your family, and it will never kill you. And cancer and heart disease will never kill your seed, says the Lord. And I was blown away because you got to understand, I knew nobody else knew, right? So I walk back up to the pastor and I say, hey, this just happened. Let me tell you the story. And I tell him the story as quick as possible. And he said, go tell him that's my son. And I walk over to this young guy and I tell him and he starts crying. He goes, I've never prophesied in my life. I've never done that before. Here's what I'm telling you is not only did God heal me, God wanted to make sure that I didn't worry either, Because he is a good, good father. He wanted me to understand that that's the father's love. And what I'm trying to do is encourage you with this, that even though we fall short from time to time, God doesn't quit loving you. Think of your own children. If you have children, many times when your children go wayward, you love them even more. You can be angry, you can be emotional, but it just breaks your heart because they're your children and you want to draw them back. That's the heart of our father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His desire is for us to say yes, to surrender and say, Lord, I'm all yours, use me. Manifest your kingdom. And we say this all the time at our church. The nature of the king is love. He wants us to manifest his love here on earth as it is in heaven. It's a pure, holy love. That's what he wants us to do. And we'll go through things in life, but he's there to pick us back up because we're the living example of that love. Even when we screw up, he still loves us. And you need to hear that. It's not over. It's not over. God is good. God is good all the time. You know, that used to be a big saying, but it's so true. Todd said, God is awesome. People overuse awesome. God is awesome. And he's a good, good father. So, hey, thank you and Amen.
0: The God of the universe fashioned our hearts for his indwelling spirit. Our hearts will not rest until they rest in him. Join us at oneheartonecity.us.